Hi everyone, once again you are very welcome to another episode of the Plainly Queer podcast. In this episode we are going to discuss queer Irish history. So this is going to be a kind of part one of a two-parter. So we're going to focus initially here on queer Irish history. And then our second episode is going to go beyond the shores of Ireland and explore queer history from a worldwide lens. How do you feel about that, Clodagh? I'm excited about it. I'm really looking forward to it. You'd given me a specific task of after 2000, queer history in Ireland after 2000. I was like, oh my God, everybody knows about that. Mm-hmm. Social media has been here, so everything is talked about to death. However, I think I did find something that, again, me being plainly queer, I didn't realize the, the bigger significance of it. And I'm going to go down, we're going to, we're going to go on a bit of a journey from journey. 2014. Specifically, January 11th, 2014. Trying to remember where I was. But before we journey to the past, before we go back. (laughs) How are you? I am good, Paul. Yes, I am good. I hate when you ask me this because then I'm like, people know I'm no life. (laughs) You're making stuff up. It's okay. They don't know any difference. Just like make it up. Yeah. Yeah. Around the world trip. I went abseiling in Peru. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Um, what have I been doing? I have been doing my usual working away. I am getting ready for a trip to Spain in two weeks for a month, which I cannot wait, especially with Toshe Fluck here in Ireland. Uh, if anybody is wondering what I've just said, I didn't curse. I said it was wet in, in Irish. Yeah, Toshe and Fluck. Toshe Fluck, not on Fluck. Yeah. You're so, so bilingual. I know. Sorry, continue, but remind me to tell you something in a couple of moments. Go on. That's basically it. That's basically my life. Reading, writing, client work, recording podcasts, and hoping I don't forget things. That sounds like, yeah, that, yeah. Dull. I, Dull. I don't know. Yeah, like. I, I was kind of like, does that sound appealing? No, not <laughs> at all. I don't have a life. No, you're, now, that sounds like you're me, so accomplished. Oh, yeah. Tell me about your life. My life, my life is good. Pretty much the same, though. Life is busy at the oh, moment. Thank God. Yeah, it's like, it's kind of client work. It's kind of day job work it's college like you're doing all this kind of stuff and then you're trying to balance it as well with a sense of like your own fulfillment in relation to social needs like a friend messaged me today and was like let's do lunch this week and I was like maybe let's do lunch in four weeks when there's a little (laughs) bit of space in my calendar and so you really are trying to cram everything in Mm. and a bit of time for yourself yeah Uh, so yeah, th- there's that adjustment I think at the moment. Yeah, I also have an inkling for dogs. I would love to get a dog. I don't have the time for myself right now, but I feel like a dog would. <laughs> Do you want an emotional support animal while you're busy? Totally. I yeah. oh, I was I was on a flight recently, and someone brought on an emotional support dog. It was a Rockweiler. It oh no a, way! It was a rockweiler. I was terrified because I have really. How do you bad... pronounce rockweiler? Ro- rockweiler. Rockweiler. I don't think I'm saying it properly. <laughs> I've never heard it pronounced like that. Rockweiler. 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 Yeah. Don't make fun of me. <laughs> yes, I think it's brilliant. I don't even know if I'm saying it correctly, Paul. Rockweiler. But yeah, this was like a certified psychiatric dog. I was like, that dog would put me on edge. Never mind, put me at ease. (laughs) That'll tell you not to um, judge a book by its cover. That's true. And you know what? She was lovely. She was the most passive dog I've ever come across. She's lovely. Yeah. I just... Where was I going with that? I you like, remi- oh, you wanted me yeah. to remind you of something as well. <laughs> oh, yes. Remind. Okay. Someone, the way there's gaydar, as in like, yeah. gaydar, to sense the gaze around you. Mm. The new thing that oh, has Oh, God. Oh, why? What's what your apprehension it? here? 
I'm like, I'm so uncool. I don't know none of the lingo. What's the new thing that I don't know about? Bye, fi Bye, fi Is that I what I, if you could see my face? I just <laughs> my mouth dropped open to catch flies. Going, what in God's name is Wi-Fi? I think I know what Wi-Fi is, but like, okay, is so like when somebody is by. Yeah, so there's Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. and then Wi-Fi is when you pick up other buys close by. You're going to pick up on the Wi-Fi network. Right. Where did you hear it? I heard. <laughs> I heard it from a younger, hipper person. No, I knew that was going to happen. Those little feckers showing us up. Uh, we I gave them it... all the words they have so far. So, like, But if you think about it, Bi-Fi is the same concept as gaydar. Cool. I do like it. I don't hate it. Like, but I, I think hate it's a that really good thing. counter to the biphobic rhetoric out there. Bi-Fi. Yeah, so all you bi's, get on, get on Bi-Fi. My problem is being a gay, I'm like, it's not bi-fi i'm just like i just assume you're gay i just assume everybody is gay you assume everyone is gay yeah i'd look at somebody and i go oh, maybe do you, know, do you know that phrase when you assume you make an ass out of you, out of you and, and me, me. that's yeah. literally i, that's I don't when you... say it out loud and i'd never <laughs> say it to a person so like it's not like i'm going are you gay i think you are no <sighs> oh everyone's gay it's awesome I know. We should all be a little bit more gay. I think that could be like, I don't know, a little bit gay, like a song or something. We could all be a little bit gay. Yeah. We are looking for a catchy intro. Okay. Yeah, Let's we could all maybe... be a little bit gay. gay. Let's like a all jingle. be a little bit gay. Yeah. That would be it. Sounds like it's something you hear on South Park. Well, probably is, yeah. yeah. I was at a concert recently. I went to the Dixie Chicks in the point. Yes! And it was so good. Oh my God, the concert was so good. The crowd were amazing. But uh, because it was, because of the month that was in it, it was in uh, July. No, Mm. it was in June. The Dixies were like, we're going to do a song that Dolly Parton wrote. And it was for all the queer people in the world. And you shouldn't have to be fighting for your rights and all this. Was it traveling through? Um, I don't know what it was called, but... Apparently, Dolly did write a song for the queer community. And I was like, this is going to be epic. This is going to be amazing. It was the most campest crap a three-year-old would have done better. I was like, Dolly, come on. I expect a lot more from you. It wasn't Two Doors Down, was it? No. I love Two Doors Down. I love Two Doors Down. They're having a party. Yeah, I love that. Anyway, look at Dolly wrote it. Yeah, Dolly Parton wrote a song for the queer community, basically how we're great and everybody should leave us alone. And then the Dixie Chicks played it at their concert. The concert was so good. I was like, this is going to be epic. And I was like, seriously? Dolly wrote this? She, We deserve better from Dolly. She wrote, I will always love you. She wrote Jolene. Come on. No. Yeah, I think your expectations... For Dolly are quite high. Maybe project some of those expectations back on yourself there, Clodagh. Oh, introspection. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Dolly Dolly holds a mantle and um, a high high mantle in the queer community and she let us down. I'm yeah. saying it. And the I know the gays are gonna come after me for that, but like we she'll, deserve better. She'll never come on the show. <laughs> um <laughs> How did we get on to that? Who knows? Do you remember that film? I'm sorry, ADHD branch off here. Did you ever see Trans America? No. Oh, amazing movie. If you ever see it, it's really good. But Dolly, the song that I mentioned earlier, Traveling Through, is on the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah, I don't know why that came into my head. But anyway, it's it's a really good movie, Trans America. And well, thinking about it now, it was like a cisgendered female playing a transgendered female character. That is not the best thing. They could have got better representation. Was it of its time? Is it one of those things that of the time was was kind of of we know better? One of the desperate housewives was in it, Felicity Hoffman. I like her. Mm, I think she went to jail. Didn't she try to like 
buy... She'd go to jail. I remember, yeah, her, her daughter got into college because of money that exchanged hands yes. from Felicity to the college. And I love William H. Macy, who is yeah. her husband. I think there are really some couples in Hollywood, you're like, you're cool. And mm. Susan Sarandon and Tim Robbins are another kind of couple in Hollywood. But they're not together anymore, are they not? No, mm, I think they've got a really kind of, kind of fluid dynamic going uncoupled. on. Yes. Um, she came yeah. out as bi as well, didn't she? Susan. Did she? Okay. Yeah. There's yeah. a bi-fi. Yeah, she bought, logged on to her old bi-fi there now on her phone. So you're going to go pre-2000 and I'm going to go after 2000. You haven't told me what you're talking about. I haven't told you what I'm talking about. That's right, Cloda. Thanks for that. Yes, I will be taking queer you Irish history. <laughs> what the hell was that? I don't know. I just felt like doing it. I just it's felt like to me. you were like a newscaster, and I was kind of like, <laughs> I'm not taking this. This is piss. bullying in real time, folks. It's not this bullying. Is bullying in real time. It's not. This is how friendship works. This is how it's developing and it's it's nurturing. But yes, we're going to cover Irish history, queer Irish history. And in, I'm said I would take before the year 2000 because not much happened. Oh, and then everything then happened after 2000 you're going to cover, which I'm very much looking forward to hearing. That's kind of the stuff I remember. I don't remember much of before 2000. So, but it was interesting mm. to look it up. Or we, yeah. You have kind of given me a hint of something. You're going to be like, oh, you kind of gave me a glint in your eye going, I know what I'm going to talk about. And it's going to be like the controversies or something. Or what did you say? What word did you use? I do remember saying that, but then I got distracted by things and that didn't happen so okay because you put I'm, the wind of me i was like oh my god this yeah. is gonna be amazing mine's gonna be terrible yeah I'm, I'm sorry for putting that expectation out there but then life did mm. get in the way and listen i have what i have if that's not good enough then cut it <laughs> so what i'm going to touch on is the campaign for homosexual law reform okay so when ah. did this happen so the Campaign for Homosexual Law Reform. I even just love saying it. It was an organization set up to campaign for the decriminalization of homosexuality in the Republic of Ireland and actually Northern Ireland as well. And it started in the 1970s. So in the 1970s in Ireland. So it'd be a quite kind of conservative Ireland. The Catholic Church had a lot of kind of influence and say they had their fingers in not only kind of church stuff, but also politics, schools. They had, yeah. they have basically control over every aspect of our society. The leader, the prominent leader of the campaign for homosexual law reform was David Norris. So, yeah, yeah he was a, an English studies lecturer in Trinity College in Dublin. And yeah, he was a Joycean scholar as well. And from the 1980s then after this to the present, he's been very much involved in Irish politics. And he's in, a senator, isn't he? Yeah, in Shannon which is the Irish Senate. So he's been very much kind of a member of that now for uh, many, many years. So mm. I suppose starting off from the conception of this campaign for homosexual law reform, it started in Trinity College. And Norris was a lecturer there. So himself and a group of other students, they informally established the sexual liberation movement in 1974. I love it. Yeah. So the sexual it's liberation. Like the summer movement. of love, but like sexual liberation. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So now the sexual liberation movement was short lived. But two splinter organizations formed on the Trinity College campus as a result of that. So mm -hmm. you had the Dublin University Gay Society, which is the first long term LGBT rights organization in Ireland. And then you had a group of law students from Trinity known as the Campaign for Homosexual Law Reform. Very interestingly, and what I love and I didn't realize at all, its first legal advisor can you guess who the first legal advisor was to this group at Trinity? I haven't a clue. It was Mary McAleese. <gasps> Mary, how are you? Yeah, that former, does not surprise me. Former president of Ireland. So the Campaign for Homosexual Law Reform, like that group of law students uh, in Trinity College, and Norris was involved as well. Its first legal advisor was Mary McAleese. 
she was there and it was her. She's been an ally from day one, like. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, she served Love as it. legal advisor from 1975 to 1979. Uh, that's when she left her professional position to join Irish Broadcasting, RTE. Mm. Uh, she was succeeded in her role as legal advisor to this homosexual law reform campaign in the 1980s by, guess who? You see, this is here. This is why we call it plainly queer. I have no idea. Come on, tell me. Mary Robinson. Oh my God! I freaking I, love this. I thought you would have got I love that connection. Those two women. Yeah. I, I, I actually was like, that's very obvious, and I was like, it, it was too obvious that they would have done that. But like, I love it. And what? Mary Mary Mac, Mary MacLeese, she has done a lot of reform in the Irish Catholic uh, penal, not penal law, but their law, um, went back and studied after she finished up being president. So I'm like, I have so much respect for her. Amazing, brilliant. I had no idea that the part the they played in the campaign yeah. for homosexual law reform in much Ireland. Much appreciated to both of them. Thank you very much. Yes, why not come on and discuss it with us? At some stage. Imagine if we could have the two of them on at the same time. Wouldn't that be amazing? And could you imagine they hated each other? <laughs> Cat fight. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. They're not coming on now. <laughs> <laughs> the Desperate Housewives is Orson Uchteron. No. <laughs> oh my God. Can we, Can we be cancelled? Is that a thing? <laughs> Can yes. podcasts be cancelled? No, just put, shut that. We need to shut this down. What they did was amazing. So yes, yes, they both worked as legal advisors. And so yes, I think it's really nice that yeah. two former presidents of Ireland were involved in that kind of campaign for homosexual law reform. So yeah. Gosh, can you imagine the two of them having the chats about this? Maybe season two. Yeah. But let's I, let's I, put I, it in the diary. Yeah, I think this is a good foundation though. So, back to this story. David David Norris, stemming from this, stemming from all this kind of work that they did on campus and this kind of campaign for homosexual law reform and they had really good legal brains and they were kind of trying to shake up the systems, dismantle those oppressive systems and especially like Irish politics at the time. David Norris took a case to the Irish High Court in 1980, seeking a declaration that the laws of 1861 and 1885, which criminalised homosexual conduct, mm. were, not in, were not kind of in force since the enactment of the Constitution of Ireland. So I will probably cut that out. But anyway, they, he took it to the High Court, the Irish High Court, to try and get homosexuality in Ireland decriminalised, basically. So mm. that was thrown out. You have to do that on the back of a case already been taken. So somebody was arrested for this crime, and then they were able to challenge the law on it. Is that how that works? Am mm. I thinking of mm. that? There's probably precedent. I think you're talking about precedent. Yeah. Yeah. How when... did they challenge that if there was no challenge to the law? Yeah, I'd, I wonder appre- if that was I'd, a case. I'd, I'd, I, yeah, I'd appreciate no questions that I don't know the answers to. But I think it, it just shows the bravery. Like it, it takes a lot to be able to stand up to your country, to the um, legal system. Now, absolutely, he was hundred percent right and fair play to him, but it, it's quite an undertaking. And at the time, an even more undertaking when you consider how far we've come in terms of beliefs and, and understanding. Of course. And like that case, which was David Norris versus the Attorney General, that was lost on the legal on like on legal grounds and the decision was upheld on the appeal to the Supreme Court of Ireland. I so did not know that. The High Court See? of Ireland uh, dismissed the case and then the Supreme Court of Ireland subsequently enforced that dismissal and and it was kind of the Supreme Court uh, referred in its judgment to Christian moral teaching and the needs of society. So they upheld the criminalization of homosexuality based because on the Christian moral teaching and needs of society. And that was actually mentioned in the court documents. Like. So, oh my yeah. God. We'll go then to, I suppose, David Norris kept fighting, kept kind mm-hmm. of going. So the next step, of course, after the Supreme Court of Ireland would be to take it to the European Court of Human Rights. So, 
David Norris took a case in 1983 to the European Court of Human Rights claiming that the Irish laws breached the state's obligations under Article 8 of the Convention of the Protection of Human Rights and Fundamental Freedoms regarding respect for private life. So the case is actually the case is actually called Norris versus Ireland. I think that's brilliant. No way. Like, yeah. <laughs> and what so, an undertaking. I know. Norris versus Ireland. And uh, so that was in 1988. So in a 1988 ruling following that, the court found that the Irish laws were in breach of the convention and directed the state to pay costs to Norris. So I suppose stemming from that, no reform action was taken by the then government and the Taoiseach then was Charles Haughey. So in 1988, Taoiseach was Charles Haughey and the government that was in power then took no reform action in relation to the ruling of the European Court of Human Rights. Mm. The following Taoiseach was Albert Reynolds. So he succeeded uh, Charles Haughey in 1992. And when he took office, he declared that the reform was very low on his list of priorities. So it wasn't going to get a look in. But however, in 1993, there was a coalition government between Fianna Fáil and the Labour Party. And Mm -hmm. it was the Labour Party in that coalition who pushed the then Minister for Justice that they wanted these kind of laws abolished. Marie Gogan Quinn was the Minister for Justice at that time. She was noted as insisting that there was an equal age of consent for homosexual and heterosexuals alike. Mm. Yeah, so I I thought that was... That was a really rich tapestry, and I loved the way it involved two former presidents. Yeah, I really like that, and especially I'm I'm just like yeah, women in history, and to have such strong advocates, I just I just love that. I just love that they are a part of that. Doesn't surprise me, but yeah, fair play to them. I suppose the the two likely heroes in this situation David Norris of course he's a force Mm -hmm. of nature he's done so much for the queer community the LGBTQ plus community here in Ireland we so much to be thankful and grateful to him for and also I suppose the Labour Party for their their part in kind of pushing it through for kind of having it high on their list of priorities because it wasn't high on Fianna Fáil's list of priorities at the time yeah Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael don't really have a great history now, not in, not in present times, but kind of unless they're pushed to it politically, unless the political will is there, they're not really going to get behind it, are they? No. Well, not in the past, it seems, yeah. And also, just on that, one of the things that came up in my research that I think will be God and now, have I lost all my notes? Yeah. The, there was an apology to the men convicted of homosexual offences. So that was in, I think it was in 2018. So then Taoiseach, even though he's Taoiseach now, Leo Varadkar, formally apologised to the men that were convicted of same-sex sexual activity and had been criminalised prior to 1993. So again, a really significant apology about the the harm done by governments and by the state um, towards homosexuality it's just it's 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 mad to think i don't know like 2018 feels far too close for something like that to be happening it feels like it should be happening in the 1950s but of course we're still repairing so much in our you've you've touched on this before there's trauma in queer history and there's a lot of present day carrying of that trauma and it's still present because we still have restrictions. We still have the, I better watch myself before I, I reach for my partner's hand. Is it safe for me to be me here in this space? Panties no well call. I need to check myself. It's still very much present. And yeah, it just, it feels like when you talk about the history and the significance of it and the, how hard fought it is by so many people that we're still here today fighting it. In in yeah. different ways, but yeah, yeah. So that was the campaign for homosexual law reform, and yeah, it involved David Norris and maybe unawares to some people, Mary McAleese and Mary Robinson were very involved. Mary Robinson was actually senior counsel for David Norris in his trial. So I think this is a very interesting story. 
but also mm. like not that long ago, like 1993 for the decriminalization of homosexuality. That felt like like I remember 1993, and that was my Thank you. take on queer Irish history. So consider I, me educated. Thank you. And I am now open to receive education from you. <laughs> okay. So I hope I do this justice because this is about Rory O'Neill, a.k.a. Panty Bliss. Oh, amazing. <laughs> so as do you remember the Nobel call? Of course you do. I do remember the Nobel call in okay. the Abbey Theatre. Yeah. So I obviously uh, I have the the remix of the song. I loved it. I remember listening to it at the time and absolutely being like totally in agreement with what Panty, aka Rory, was saying. But I didn't know the full background and what it actually caused as a catalyst for change within Ireland. So let me take us back in time. So I'm going to take you back to January 11, 2014, to the Saturday Night Show, which was hosted by Brendan O'Connor on. The RT uh, TV station, right? So the discussion that on that episode was about homophobia in Ireland, and Rory came on, and there was uh, obviously a conversation around: Does is there homophobia in Ireland? And Brendan O'Connor asked the direct question: Was there homophobes in Irish media? And Rory kind of went, "Well, mm, yeah." And uh, Brendan asked, "Well, who?" And he go, "Well, now." And Brendan started naming names to which Rory replied, yes, I would say they are homophobes or not I'm paraphrasing them. And this kicked off a shitstorm, basically. And during the program, a few people were named. I'm not going to name names because there's a lot of litigious people around here. Anyway, legal proceedings were taken against RTE and Rory, claiming that there was damage to the reputation alleging defamation, a damage to their reputations, right? On February 7th, 2014, issue, RTE issued an apology to these people by the comments that were made on the show. They edited the show to take out the comments, so they took it out completely, acknowledging the comments were unfair and it did not meet RTE standards. RTE on the 21st of February then paid a financial settlement to these people. Now, what what caused all of this was what Panty and Brennan were talking about was not untrue. The the censoring of that conversation of free speech within Ireland, our national broadcaster capitulated to these people out of pure fear, didn't challenge it immediately made the apology, took it off air and left Rory out to dry, basically. Anyway, that led to that speech, that famous speech. It, it became known as the Pantygate controversy. So it sparked mad debate on freedom of speech, LGBT rights, the role of media in Ireland, all of that. So the... Nobel call speech that happened in the Abbey, I think that was two weeks after this, was Panty Bliss saying, we've talked about this before, about how she checks herself, or he checks himself at pedestrian crossings, because just in case somebody might see something within them that's kind of queer, kind of on the gay, and that feels oppressive. Mm. And it was from that speech, which I, everybody should check it. Panty Bliss was the catalyst. This thing was the catalyst to put the marriage referendum, the constitutional change on obviously political radar. It made it more expedient for them to make change. And that's how the Irish government then officially announced on November 4th, 2014, later in that year, that they were going to hold a referendum on the issue of same-sex marriage. It was a direct link back to Panty's um, appearance on RTE and a direct link because of her Nobel call speech. A direct link or had like legislative change like had that not been like in the it back? Was ha- it was actually let's make the decision put it to the people because there's obviously um, a change that people want to make. Let's put it out there. Hmm. I didn't know that. I and do- obviously now Rory campaigned so hard for the marriage referendum 
And we also owe a debt of gratitude to them for doing that because it took a huge amount of sacrifice from them. Yeah, when you think of these individuals that have given so much of themselves to putting themselves out there in benefit of our community, in benefit of kind of the progression of basic human rights for queer individuals and for equality. Like they, they, they have that. sacrificed so much of themselves and their own privacy and sense of themselves for the greater yeah. good. And think about that as well. Being um, part of the face of that uh, change, imagine if it didn't go through. Mm. Imagine what it would have said to the people of Ireland, to the queer people of Ireland, that Ireland isn't binding. So the marriage equality referendum obviously was in 2015. So that was only five years after the Civil Partnership Act. So this this kind of snowball effect that was started back, really the change of law, I'm sure it was started back before this in, in other ways, in other pride and protests of, as you say, when people were being oppressed, there were protests, there were acts of acts of pride as people stood up for themselves and said, no, we're not going to take this. Defiance. Legal... Acts of defiance. defiance. Yeah. The, the, the legal roads really started to kick off um, as I started looking through this. So, sorry, the marriage equality referendum in 2015, again, a historic moment because the world's first nation to vote on our constitution to include uh, marriage equality, which I mm. I just love. I still love that to this day. I remember being there outside Panty Bar and a friend of mine that I went to college with, that I trained with, we met and saw each other. I was surrounded by good friends, but they were straight. And when we saw each other, we got so emotional because we knew what that meant. And I, I've said this in previous um, podcasts of, I felt like my country was behind me that day. So hmm. such a momentous occasion. I do remember where you were and when, when that vote went through. Yes, I. Th- <laughs> it was a very interesting day. We went around a lot of places. We tried to get into Dublin Castle, but the queue was too long. So I think we sat out the back of Street 66, formerly the Front Lounge uh, bar on Parliament Street. We had a few drinks there, just soaking in the atmosphere. And then we went to the George because TV3, which is now Virgin Media. Media. Is that, do they have a TV channel now? Am I getting this wrong? Yeah. They have a news channel anyway, yeah. Oh, okay. Virgin Media. Yeah, probably TV3, Vincent Brown. Vincent Brown, he used to have Late Night with Vincent Brown. But anyway, he he was broadcasting live from the George on that day. And so myself and my friend went into the sidebar of the George, like uh, called, it's called Jurassic Park. Yeah, I was only talking about this the other day. I didn't know that until like, I'd say about five or six years ago. Yeah, it was kind of this thing that like, if you were a bit more mature, and you didn't want to be like, well, if you did, if you wanted a more relaxed, chill out atmosphere, and you'd go to the sidebar, which just became known as Jurassic Park. And I'm kind of like, I'm quite happy with that. I don't care. Yeah. There's no I loved negative... it. I yeah. absolutely loved it. Fell in love with it. I didn't know it existed. <laughs> but no. <it's... laughs> I, I like it. But yeah, the thing was, the kind of more mature kind of gays would go to Jurassic Park. Anyway, there's a side entrance that connects the nightclub, the George, and this bar. So we were able to kind of go into the... the you couldn't get into the George. The queue was so long into the nightclub part of it. So we said we go into the sidebar. We had a nice drink there. And then we seen this door and some of the staff were coming in and out of it. And we're like, we'll just sneak through the door there into the nightclub. And literally we snuck through the door and the cameras were right there recording Vincent Brown (laughs) and his show. And he had panel members there. And we found ourselves in the audience at that. So we were there for a few hours. They announced it and was very happy and it was very joyous. So I was in the George is the short answer to that. I was, it was uh, outside Panty Bar, and yeah. yeah, just such an atmosphere, wasn't it? It was such a such a day. What do you like? What did you feel on that day? Tipsy. <laughs> did you feel like it was momentous? Did you feel like you were accepted? Any of those sorts of, or was it just this is great crack? It would be a great night for a piss up. No, I did feel. I 
I'm, I don't know. Now you say, I didn't feel like, oh, I felt like this was a really, I remember talking to Mary Lou MacDonald in the smoking area. And I got a selfie with Mary Lou <laughs> MacDonald in the smoking area. I remember seeing Michal Martin was there as well. And I remember yeah. his son was quite attractive and his son was there too with him. Turns out I think his son is heterosexual. But all the allies were there anyway. And yeah, I just, I remember feeling it was a big moment. Yes. Um, but then I think part of me was kind of like, yeah, I don't know. There was something going on there that I was kind of like, well, this should be a given anyway. Why should you have to fight so hard? Yeah. What kind of way? It's like, oh, we As celebrate. Yeah, we celebrate this. We thank you for giving this to us. It's like, ugh, we kind of should have right. had. I didn't, kind of I didn't have think it anyway. of it that way, but I hear that. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's ridiculous that it has got to like 2015 when we're still talking about this. And we're still talking about it in 2023. Well, you are. Because so, it's not. Because it's it's not a done deal. We're still we're still fighting for equality. Oh, I think everyone's um, kind of like now, Jesus. If it wasn't like if you could get all the benefits of marriage without getting married, like the legal stuff, I'd say half the people wouldn't bother. If you were just is that not like a partnership? Yeah, I civil don't know. Partnership. Like, what is the difference between marriage and a civil partnership? That is a good question, and I had that. So, a civil partnership. Couples had the rights and responsibilities similar to, but not equal to, those of a civil marriage. So even in the civil partnership, even though that was good, it wasn't as equal as civil marriage that heterosexuals talked about. But actually, that's another interesting point. I was actually looking at this the other day. Renee von Meeding, or Heading, I think it is. She is on Instagram, and we'll link uh, her page into the notes. And only just recently... So she is doing IVF with her partner. They have two kids and they had eggs, frozen embryos, and in, they had to go to Portugal to do them. Mm-hmm. So since 2020, the use and movement of embryos and, and the laws within Ireland is quite restrictive. Okay, so you have to meet certain circumstances in order for part, for IVF with same-sex couples. So one of the things for a heterosexual couple, if they go abroad and get IVF treatment, so embryo implantation or anything like that, they have full parental rights when they return to Ireland. So okay. no matter where they go, when they come back to Ireland, a heterosexual couple will both have their name on their that child's um, birth certificate once they're born. Now, this woman who's actively going through it as, as we're talking here, like it's present day, it's not the same. After the 2020 legislation, if you don't use an Irish clinic, a pregnant person is the only person that's legally registered on that birth certificate. Now, in for this couple, the egg that was implanted was the other partner's egg. So it's it's actually even her egg that was used and she will not be legally recognized. She'll be, what, are, what do they call it? Like legal parental like alienation because... The law refuses to recognize it because they went outside of the country. So even today, homosexual couples don't have the same rights as heterosexual couples. And that, I, I think that's quite something that that can even exist. Yeah, it's, I suppose, legal stuff. I think it's always such a quagmire because it's always like everything has to be broken down, dissected and covered to the ninth, like to the infinite degree like it's all like if you any of these bills or acts or legal kind of things reforms they are they are books they are novels they have they are like war of war and peace size things mm. that have to go through so i'd say yeah i'd say I'm people so are differentiated. just but i'd say some like they're afraid to even go near it like politicians and like legal people and the lawmakers of the land i say they're even afraid to even touch it so yeah because it's not even good enough so. yeah they just don't know where to start with it and i think it's that kind of fear that it's that fear of trying to change start. the system yeah to try yeah. and make it more please start yeah i just think it's horrific at this day and age that they have to go through that and when they come back to ireland and the child hopefully is eventually born they have to then go through a legal fight to have the parent recognized. Mm. And a heterosexual couple, it's it's automatic. So laws be damned or tiredness of wanting to change it, change it. Start that battle. Make sure it is changed. 
Then if you go to, I read an article recently, literally today, in Georgia, and there was mm-hmm. a, a prize kind of festival and march organized in Georgia, and thousands of anti-LGBTQI kind of protesters showed up. And we're talking violent protesters, tearing everything down. It couldn't happen. And seeing the pictures, I'm kind of like, God, you have the one extreme where... Yeah. That's, they haven't even got to the chance of being able to protest because they've yeah. been shut down and there's the threat of violence and the threat of actual actually being killed. And then you have the other side of it where you have to buy in to be part of this kind of right mm. to protest. It's That's bonkers. Yeah. There's, yeah. Within our own community now, there's such a sense of imbalance. Yeah. I have a question for you. Go for it. Where to next? What's next for the queer community in Ireland? What is our next steps? Uh-huh. What's the evolution? What's next to come in the evolution of the queer community in Ireland? I think, and I don't want to speak on this because it's not something that directly affects me, but I think two two pieces that I see are in need of reform not the only things but uh, transgender rights Mm -hmm. and medical transitioning and how we cope with that not how we cope with that but how the Irish system is set up to deal with that I don't think it's very progressive I think it goes against what's now known to be best practice I think there's a reckoning going to come with that. I think the current wait list for the gender clinic in Ireland in Lachlanstown is something like eight years, which is just appalling. I think that has to change. Uh, the other thing I think as well is, is that I touched on earlier is the treatment of same-sex couples in IVF treatment. If you go abroad, why is it that heterosexual couples have the automatic right and that um, same-sex couples don't? So there's two pieces for me I see as at the forefront of change. Hmm. What about yourself? I would agree. I think it's it's it it follows the natural flow of queer individuals can there's same sex marriage now. Um so naturally it would follow that family would come next, as in growing that family and reproductive rights and the rights of children and families and family recognition and I don't think I'm phrasing it properly but you know what I mean mm. the right to nurture equality. and grow a family yes equality yeah. especially when there's so many children in the world that are in need of a family like the amount of children that need foster care in Ireland that need adoption and it's made so difficult so mm. yeah really need i think that's the new kind of ground and as you say healthcare queer healthcare in particular trans healthcare is mm. awful and it just needs to be totally overhauled and again i think it's because it's patriarchal i keep saying that wrong patriarchal thank yeah. you thank you can you say it again patriarchal patriarchal i think that's what it is i think there's just and it is all these hse doctors you see them and you're kind of like ugh you can just get the vibe that they're not even like trans affirming. Yes. There's a very kind of dinosaur-esque back in the cave days. Yeah, send them to Jurassic Park. Let's drag you out into the sunlight. (laughs) Let's drag them out into the sunlight and actually move with the times, move with what we know to be care, just care on a very basic level. People just Um, want to experience. Yes, they're gone. I want to say, can I ask you, do you think that the standard two people in a relationship you meet you get married and you have kids or whatever marriage is part part of that do you think that's going to change do you think we're going to evolve out of that and I'm thinking about one not getting married not having a partnership and having legal rights and protections that that would go along with that after a certain amount of time but also um more people coming into relationships so polyamory anything like that do you see us opening up as a frontier that that could be the next step one thing i know that is true is that life is very hard if you just want to be by yourself like so i know we talk about kind of finding someone else and going through that as much but just to be a person and live by yourself is made so difficult you nearly have to kind of start that process of meeting someone and you you kind of 
financially, emotionally, you need someone in life. You need a person to be mm. with you in life now. It's very hard to go through life alone. So yeah, I think the next transition would be, okay, maybe like co-ops, co-ops mm-hmm. of individuals coming together. And yeah, I I don't know. I think it'll be like I say, many, 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 many generations before it figures itself out. But yeah, I, I think, what was the question? I do you think kind of a heteronormative view of two people, that's it, you follow the line, kids, marriage, the house, all of that. Do I think that will change? The only norm, yeah. I think that's the only way that society is built to make it easy on us to exist. Like, if you go outside to make of... it easy on us. But yeah. yeah just, I was just going to say, those outside of it, it's not easy. Exactly. Because the systems are all set up that you get together, you create a family, you exist, you nurture that family, they'll go on and make other families. You're protected legally, you're protected on a tax, you're protected housing, you're you're so protected if you follow that bubble, you go outside of it. You're a mouse in a wheel. You're a mouse Mm. in a wheel, the wheel is spinning, and yeah, that's it. You're just a mouse in a wheel, and if you stop spinning... So there's equality in terms of relationship status there's mm. a certain you're more protected if you're a certain status and that is two ideally male and female because you'll get most protections there but if you're a single person or a person that say doesn't have kids or is in relationship with multiple others you are still not as protected not as legally or minded or you're even out of the housing system medically how that is treated your next of kin. What if we don't have an extra kid? I have a question. If there mm-hmm. was a re- referendum on polyamorous marriage, how do you think it would go, go down? For it. How do oh, you how think, it would yeah. go down? Oh, I'm like, yeah, do do your thing. I don't care. No, what, um, do, what do you how think? How would it go down? Yeah, how would it go down? Like, if it was the popular vote again, how do you think? Today, I don't think it would be as easy a vote. Mm. Um, I do you, don't think we have the understanding just yet as a nation. I think that's more and more needs to be talked about. Very interesting. These frontiers, these like brave yeah. new worlds and yeah, how the systems will change, how like it is, it's those pillars of society. It's law, politics, religion and health. They are the pillars that are holding up society. So then you bring in all these kind of things to challenge that and you're like, how, how do these, yeah, how, how do all these kind of sectors kind of adapt or do, are they willing mm. to adapt? Like, say, if you brought in a thing of polyamorous marriage and it would be kind of like, how would the systems react to that? How would those pillars, would those pillars of society be able to like withstand something like that? The argument is always at that point, at every uh, juncture, when you go outside of those steps, is that it will weaken society, it will lessen society, it will damage society in every way. Gay marriage will damage society, will never recover. Gay marriage will damage children, or don't say gay, all of these sort of kind of tropes. So I think if we were to learn by history, we could see that any time we allow people to be themselves, to embrace them and love them and cherish them and, and mind them within a society, it only strengthens it. Mm. There, there's no, we're not bringing in something that's detrimental to society. All we're asking, say in the polyamory side of things, all you're asking is for more people to be allowed to love more people. What's, what's so terrible about that? Hmm. that's just my that's just my thinking on it no that is valid thinking what's so terrible about that but people will always think of things i've got a cute little story go for it yeah it's i was doing some kind of when i was kind of researching stuff about kind of queer irish history i read about these two women and one of whom was called lady eleanor butler have you ever heard of lady eleanor butler it's familiar, but I have no idea why. Oh, really? Oh, great. So they were known as the Ladies of Van Goffen, okay, which is okay. a town in Wales. So Eleanor Butler and Sarah Ponsombi, uh, they were two upper-class Irish women who lived together as a couple. 
Yeah. In 1749. Yay! Yeah, so you're going back like the 1600s. So their relationship scandalized and fascinated their contemporaries. The pair moved to a Gothic house in Wales in 1780 after leaving Ireland to escape the social pressures of conventional marriages. So, mm. yeah, over the years, numerous distinguished visitors called upon them. Shelley, who was a poet, and Wordsworth as well, who was a poet they all visited in. And actually, Wordsworth wrote a sonnet about the two ladies. Yeah, so Eleanor, who like that was born in 1739, was a member of the Butler family, a daughter of Walter Butler, the Earl of Ormond, the Earl of Ormond. Her family, whose seat was in Kilkenny Castle, considered her an overeducated bookworm. And yeah, she was educate, educated in a convent in France and so spoke French. Sarah Ponsonby, who was born in 1755, was orphaned as a child and lived with relatives in County Kilkenny. Um, yeah, so basically they met and their families lived 15 miles from each other. Uh, the two women met in 1768 and very quickly became close. Over the years, they formulated a plan for a private rural retreat. It was their dream to live an unconventional life together. So, Aww. yeah, rather than face the possibility of being forced into unwanted marriages in Ireland, they left County Kilkenny together in 1778. Uh, their families found them and forcibly tried to make them give up their plans, but oh, they were God. in vain. Uh, Go for it. Yeah, the two uh, women moved to Wales and they sent uh, for their servant to come from Ireland. Her name was Mary Carlyle. She lived and worked with them for the rest of her life. And then Mary died and the two ladies died as well. But I love that all three were buried in the same plot with the same. Oh, yeah. that's sweet. I love how you ended that. Oh, they all died. But hold on. They're yeah, all but they're all buried <laughs> together in the same grave marker. But I just like that. They lived in the well, a Welsh country town and they had their home together and they just they oh. just lived there. They were in... They did their own thing. They lived their own life. Yeah, that's no, the whole point of it. Let them live. Let people live their own lives. Exactly. But I just love that curveball at the end of like, oh, their servant in rabbit ears. Could have been like polyamory <laughs> thing going on as well. I tell you, polyamory is all but throughout the age. That's what it is. It's in, it's in inverted commas, is it? It's written as that. No, I just put it up. I just actually... Yeah, sorry. I'm just presuming that the three of them were in a uh, very loving and committed relationship yeah. to one another's and they were all yeah I think it's nice that they were all buried together in the same plot with the same grave I marker. love happy that stories like that's a living a life happy ever after I hope it was for them but like that is so nice now they were in a lot of debt and pretty kind of like yeah they were bougie like they were bougie. They? yeah they lived Good the bougie them. lifestyle that's the way to do it live bougie yeah you're not going to take it with you yeah true I you love it you That's can leave nice. debt behind. It's fine. As in money debt. Funny. Very good. I love that. Sure. Thank I you just, for ending Yeah, I that. just wanted to put in that little, that little story I came across. I love yeah. those things from like so, hundreds of years ago. Yeah, it is. I do love stories. I love hearing. I just love that. I like the, I know growing up, I would have heard like it's, this is a new thing. It's a fad or somebody just going to, it's the newest trend or something like that. And then you go back through history, like since the dawn of humanity, and there's queer stories everywhere. Everywhere. You cannot get away from it. And it's just trying to be erased. So when I hear stories like that, I'm like, yes, go live your best life. Peace <laughs> of earth. I, I love it. Pride. Vote. Protest. Go for it. What is the end goal? Equality for all. Do you think it's realistic? I'm going to keep fighting until my last breath anyway. Oh, I love that. That was like, <laughs> that was very Xena warrior princess. Like we yeah. are literally forging our way forward. As in, we don't know what's to come because we are the first people going there. As in relation to yeah. equality. And Go back coming to, to my the head, past like, learn from it. That's how they, they kept fighting. They kept turning up. They kept challenging. They kept disrupting. You love it disrupting. So be a disruptor. Yeah. But then I think society tames you. I think society tames the disruptor. 
I think Are that's the it? purpose of society. Society. The mm-hmm. purpose of society is to constrain disruption. Is to kind of keep the status quo. Don't you don't have the to boat. play along. Yeah, but if you don't play along, you're ostracized. But we have our own community. We do, but that community is embedded in the pillars of society. So you have to. You're very hopeless, Paul. I'm not hopeless. I'm just practical. You so do. What's the you answer? Do you nothing. What you have to do to survive. And Absolutely. People... There's no. Yeah. Go on. I was going to. Yeah, I I agree with you. There's. There, it's very. Again, very easy for me in my high tower to go. Yes, we must fight and we must do. There's a lot of people. I'm. I I pass in society that nobody would know I was even gay. So like, it's not something that I'm impacted on. And mm. um, now there are impacts on my life. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying. The, the the trans person walking down the street is uh, an open target now at the moment, it seems. So I must continue fighting. There is so from many people tower. that are exhausted. Yeah, from my high tower. There's so many people Rapunzel, exhausted Rapunzel. from fighting. But I seriously think for us in our high tower that says, oh, well, it's fine. It's not a whole lot we can do. Still show up. In whatever way you can, even if it's from the, the conversation with your mates and they go, oh, my God, that's so gay. So what do you mean by that? Can I ask What do you mean when that? Do you believe? In life after love? No. Do you believe us in creating this podcast is enough for us to fulfill mm. that obligation? No. Do you not have conversations in your day-to-day life that come up every now and then? I do. Have conversations every day about this. And it, very funnily enough, I know you touched on this a couple of episodes ago. I find as a result of doing this podcast, I'm more confident talking about those things. I want to talk about those things. I want to communicate my point of view. And I don't want to feel like I'm being a burden or I'm on a soapbox. This is who mm. I am. This is my experience. This is the experience of other people. Other people in the world who are queer have awful experiences. And they don't get to be themselves. I feel privileged for being able to be myself. So I'm going to be myself. And I'm going to communicate what I want to communicate. And I'm going to be who I want to be. And not everyone's going to like that. Not everyone has liked that. I've lost a lot of relationships in my life because of who I am. But I'm sick of apologizing for that. And I just want to be who I want to be. And who I am. And Mm. yeah, I just want to be who I am. And maybe that's my fucking way of protest. Just Absolutely. being who Absolutely. I am, apologize unapologetically. And I suppose I'm I'm going to link that back into what I was saying about uh, Panty's Nobel Call. The the reason why they were checking themselves is because uh, any gay person at the moment, and even within Ireland, we thought with the marriage referendum we were done and we had equality and all that sort of stuff. Any gay person in Ireland or queer person in Ireland, when they reach for their partner's hand, it is not uh, a simple. I just feel like holding their hand. I don't have to think about it that other straight people, cisgender people won't be able to do. It is a conscious decision where they have to scan the environment, check if there's danger, see if it's okay, and take the risk of going, yes, I'm going to hold it anyway, and hopefully nothing will happen. And hopefully nobody will say some slur along the way or that okay. they'll get bashed. Mm. That is not a simple thing for a queer person to do, is to hold their hand of a partner. And God forbid they decide to have a kiss. Any cisgendered straight person out there gets to do that without consequence, without thinking. So that is why we have the conversations. That is why we live unapologetically. But it is not without without its issues right now. And that's why we continue to fight and protest. I agree, because I am not without my issues. We have come far, but there is more to do. So let's keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. That's yes. vague, but encouraging. Yes. Yes, that's me. I'm like a Hallmark card now at this stage. <laughs> that's all I've left in me. Uh, but, but, you know, yeah, thank you for exploring the queer Irish history. Yeah, but don't try not to get too fatigued by the fight either or maybe just yeah the fight is important but save some energy for yourself as well and for your self-care because the fighting constantly when you're kind of facing such insurmountable odds it can seem like sometimes 
It's a big fierce foe. It's it's it is David and Goliath. One thing is for sure, because we've already recorded part two of this, mm-hmm. and in both episodes, we don't agree. Like there is polarization on some issues. There's yeah. you can sense that fire, that sense of like, yeah, this is kind of one of those issues. I think we touched on it in the next one. It's like never talk about money, politics, religion, and we talk about it all. And yeah. yeah, there's kind of a little bit of, you can sense our individual perspectives yeah. in relation to that. But that's great. And I appreciate your individual perspective. So thank you so much. Very much, Paul. And I appreciate you too. Oh, I appreciate my Prosecco. How's that going? (laughs) It's gone. Um, Well gone. This will be an interesting uh, to listen back to. (gasps) Edit it all out. But no, yes, thank you so much. This was part one of queer Mm -hmm. history. So we focused on queer Irish history. And our next episode is going to expand to some quite topical stuff as well from the present that still affects us. Because yes, we have to remember where we came from and who went before us, but we also have to acknowledge the struggles that are happening in the world right now. And that is still to come in the next episode of the Plainly Queer podcast. Don't forget, we're not obviously different, just Plainly Queer. Thank you very much.